The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. My question is, does who we are match how we feel? Does who you are match how you feel about yourself? Let me explain. Um, There's an opening line of a Rolling Stone magazine article that that opens this way. Coy Coy Mathis uh, knew one thing by the time he was four years old, that he was not a boy. And so this created some confusion for his parents, and they wrestled with this challenge, but eventually came to a point where they accepted uh, him and his professed gender. And so they eventually filled his closets with dresses and several pink dresses, and then went, got into a legal battle with his school so that he could use uh, the girls' bathroom. And uh, you and I both know that those kind of stories are becoming more and more commonplace. Uh, you're seeing it in politics, what we refer to as gender politics. Uh, you're seeing it in uh, the workplace. You're seeing it on social media. And you're probably personally having to wrestle with those realities because you're, you're interacting with people that are asking hard questions. You're actually interacting with people that may be struggling with something like tra- transgenderism. But you and I both know it's not just transgenderism. It's the fact that we live in a culture where gender roles and gender identity is really in a major upheaval, all right? And so I thought maybe I would explain it this way. Uh, first, you've got, so in essence, here, here's, what the, here's what the questions are. What does it mean to truly be a man, and what does it mean to truly be a woman? Now, if we're honest in this moment, you don't really want to sit here, and regardless of what campus you're at, you don't really want to sit here and hear this because it's uncomfortable. And to be honest with you, I don't really want to talk about it, Um, And so we probably need to talk about it, right? These are tough issues that we have to talk about. And so first I want to say, what's the challenge? The challenge is, let's start with guys. Uh, From the time, because of the gender politics issue, um, from the time a boy is very young, they're already being forced into some heavy conflict. What does it mean to grow up to be a man? And so they're told, Uh, that their masculinity is toxic. It's toxic to women. If if you're truly growing up to be a man, you're going to hurt those around. You're going to hurt women. You're going to oppress women. And so they kick into extremes. You got some that think that what it means to truly be a man, to become masculine, is to become domineering and macho and objectifying women and putting people down and using their power to abuse others. And then others, the pendulum swings over and boys grow up to believe that their masculinity is toxic. And so they live as perpetual teenagers, right? As roll over, like, you know, kind of um, getting rolled over and they're wimps. And as a result, they, uh, they, they learn to lean on women to take care of them. They never grow up, right? And so they're leaning on their mom to take care of them. They grow up, they get married, and they they lean on their wives to take care of them. They just live as perpetual teenagers. And then if you switch and you talk about women, women who grow up from a young age to believe that the most valuable part of who they are is their sexual identity, their, their sex appeal, right? And so they focus, get overly caught up in looking 
to impress men, to be nothing more than a sex object, or they reject that and they become focused on becoming dominant, right? Powerful women who are smarter and stronger than men, who can hold their ground against men, and so they try to become competitive against men, and and so then you, you have this weird like pendulum swings in our culture, and I guess what I would ask is like, how's that working for us? Is there a better way? So what I wanna do is, you know, we're gonna talk about it, but this isn't about what I think. I didn't wanna just come here and say, hey, here's what I believe, because what, what is it, what's the difference between what I believe and what you believe and anybody else believes? What I really wanna do is lean into what God has to say about gender and gender identity and gender roles. And I'm gonna start by going to the very first book of the Bible where we learn about God's view and God's um, work at creation. And so I'm going to bring you to the very first book of the Bible, starting in Genesis. And we're going to open up Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 27, where we read this. As God is designing man and woman, we read this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very Good, and there's a few really important things to notice right at the very beginning when God designed creation first, that God took his image, right? God is neither male nor female. God is above that. He created gender for our benefit. And so God took his image and he split it and he placed some in man and some in woman. In fact, that's why when we talk about marriage, we say marriage is the beautiful coming together of the earthly understanding of God's image, right? Like the best picture of who God is, is a husband and wife coming together in unity because you're, you're in essence reuniting this, um, this image of God that was, that was put into man and woman. But that's, we don't just wanna stop there. We also understand this, that God designed us male and female. And there was no confusion, there was no dysphoria, there was no discontentment, right? Eve isn't angry about being a woman and Adam isn't angry about being a man. They're not confused in their role. They're not confused in their identity. And when God saw it, he, he blessed it. So he put his favor on man and woman. And then he said it was very good. It's very good that you are a man or you're a woman. And if you're married, you're like, amen. Like, this is good. Actually, who cares? Whether married or not, you're single. You're like, amen, it's great that we are men and women. And if you go back to the creation order, you recognize that this was God's design. This is the way God made man and woman. And then if you jump ahead just one chapter, you get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, where he, it's written this way. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So they were living in their God-given gendered bodies, and there was no sense of inadequacy or embarrassment or shame. They, there was no um, sense of, I am not where I belong. And it was blessed. There was no shame attached to it. It was good, and it was the way God designed it. Now, in today's culture, in current academia, and in our current uh, state of politics, we have this challenge where in those categories, here's what, here's what we hear, that your birth sex 
is different from your psychological gender, meaning your physiology doesn't necessarily match your psychology. It's possible for you to have a physical um, sex and that be different from your psychological gender. And, and so that's the challenge, right, that Coy Mathis may have been wrestling with. And it's really important, actually, as we dive into this, that you recognize that this isn't about politics. This isn't about academics. It's not about debates and what you see on social media. It's about real people. Real people who are struggling with real challenges in life. And so real people like Coy Mathis. And so when you even talk about what God's word says, we have to kind of go, okay, how do we navigate through this as we talk about this? So here's what I want to give you. Um, that while politics might say that there's some separation between gender and sex, God's word clearly refutes that. Absolutely not. And let me explain, when God's design, in God's design, he made man and woman, male and female, and it was good. It's the way God wanted it to be. And so when God made it, it's, he said it was good and there's no shame attached because when God made man and woman, male and female, he gave them not only a physical body, this is your physiology, this is the way your, you know, your sex organs are designed, but he attached with your body, your soul, this is your psychology. This is how you feel. This is how you think. And there, there's a, you're a whole being. You, you don't get to take apart your body from your soul and say, well, that's separate from, no, no, God gave you a gift. And this is really important. Your gender is a gift from God. Your body is a gift from God. Your mind and your soul are a gift from God. And you are a whole being. And, and we don't just get to rip them apart and detach them. So what does that mean? It means not only is your body and your soul a gift from God, but the unique identity that you have when you see yourself as a man or you see yourself as a woman is a gift from God. And the role that comes with being a man or come, comes with being a woman is also a gift from God. In fact, what I really want you to take note of today is this, your God-given identity defines your role and responsibility. So we're talking about this, right? It's an uncomfortable topic. It's just me. It might be uncomfortable for you to hear. It's probably even more uncomfortable for me to have to talk about. But here's the thing. I know that God designed you just the way you are. God didn't make a whole bunch of mistakes. God loves you. He designed you. And so why is it that things are not as they should be? Why is it that people are confused about their gender identity or their gender roles? Why is it that people, uh, you know, feel like things are detached, that there's a dysphoria about this? So let me, let me kind of go back to the beginning and say, here's the challenge we face. We live in a broken world, a corrupted world. I'm not blaming anyone. In fact, I'm going to go back to the beginning and say, here's what went wrong. Something called sin entered our world and Adam and Eve, they willingly disregarded God, God's design for their life, God's best for their life. They said, no, we want to do life our way. And when they made that decision, the world became fractured, broken. We, biblical authors, Jesus called that sin. And from that point on, every one of us were born corrupted by sin, but it wasn't just that it corrupted us. It wasn't just that it corrupted our spirit, meaning we're not just spiritually broken and separated from relationship with God. Imagine sin like the ultimate virus. It gets in and it affects, it infects and affects everything. It, from the very beginning, this original fall, everything is fallen. So you and I, we were born 
broken. What I mean by that is this, we, we think sometimes in broken ways. We feel broken things. We have desires that are fractured. Every one of us, we want things that we shouldn't want. We feel things that we probably shouldn't feel. We, we feel a sense of confusion about things that otherwise before the fall, there was no confusion. We feel separated from God and we wonder where is God? Before the fall, there was no confusion about where God was. They knew God, they saw God, they could talk to God in personal relationship where they, you know, they walked with him. But today because of sin, we're separated from God and we go through life broken and hurting, headed toward a forever ruin and eternal judgment. And that's what's wrong, right? And so how does that affect you and I? Well, here's the deal, right? It means that our desires are fractured. The way we think is corrupted. Even our sexuality is corrupted and broken. Why do you think we have so many issues in our nation? Because something is deeply broken about the world we live in and something is deeply broken inside of every one of us. And so when you look at every one of us, there's confusion, there's brokenness, there's disconnect. And so that certainly can manifest itself in different ways. Um, people can get sick. And it's, it's not that their fault that they got sick, it's that we live in a broken, messed up world. The tragedies that happen in the world around us are a result of sin infecting and affecting the world we live in. But it certainly does affect us personally. And so I, I wanna be clear here, I'm not blaming someone, I'm saying because they sinned, they think this way. I'm saying because of the original fall, because we live in a broken world, people think all kinds of ways. And so somebody may have confusion about their gender identity and it's the result of the fact that we live in a broken world where sin is infecting and affecting all of our desires. And so you might ask, well, what, what about the, um, those that are born with like kind of intersex anatomy? And so let me speak about that for just a moment. There are about one in every 1,500 children are born with some uh, intersex anatomy. It doesn't mean that their genetics are off, but they do have some, there's gonna be something, maybe the way they look, it's gonna be off. And so I just wanna say this. There are people born with all kinds of unique challenges. Their life is no, more, no, no less precious. They're made in the image of God. If, that, if that's someone you know or someone you love, they're valuable. God loves them, God created them. In fact, God wants to rescue them. Not necessarily their anatomy might change, but how they see themselves and how they receive love can be, can be transformed by God. And so what is the answer? What do we do about this gender struggle that we have? Well, I'm gonna bring you to Galatians, Galatians chapter three. The apostle Paul wrote this letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. And this really captures the heart of how we respond to this issue. He's, he writes this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, or male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So you might read this and go, okay, well, he's saying it doesn't matter. You're not male or female. No, no, that's not what he's saying. He goes, when you are in Christ, those things are not what matters. We don't get trapped in these arguments about racism about ethnic issues, about issues of slavery and freedom. It's not that we don't want to eradicate slavery. It's that we're not saying because you earn less, you're worth less. If you earn more, you're worth more. He goes, when you are in Christ, these become the lesser issues. 
We're not going to get caught up in issues of arguing about gender politics because when we are in Christ, he clothes us in a new sense of identity. So what did God do? God saw that sin broke us. It broke the world. And so God stepped into the world to deal with gender issues? No, to take on sin. And so Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took on our sin shame, our sin guilt, our sin judgment. So when he died, he died once for all. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin, guilt and shame removed, that eternal judgment that every one of us face. We're rescued from eternal judgment because we are clothed in Christ. When we put on Christ, he makes us new. We become a new person in Jesus Christ. We see ourselves as fully in Jesus, which means this. I am made new in Jesus. My identity is found in Jesus. Check it out. Imagine if your primary identity was simply that you are in Christ. You're not first a sexual being. You are not first male or female. You're not first rich or poor. You're not first black or white. You are first and foremost in Christ. Suddenly that changes how we see ourselves. Here's my goal. I want you to hear this carefully. My goal today is not to change your views about gender politics or gender identity or gender roles. My goal was to come and say, I believe that if you love Jesus, or my, my goal would be this. I want you to love Jesus more. That's it. And I believe that if you love Jesus more, everything else will become a little bit less important in your life. God is not a feminist or a chauvinist. I want to be found in Christ. And I want you to be found in Christ. And when you're in Christ, suddenly that's all that matters. And then you begin to enjoy the way God made you even if God is still at work making us new. We are spiritually made new when we believe in Jesus. We are transformed, we are forgiven, but that newness that we receive spiritually is at work in our physical bodies, right? We're still in the process of breaking down, I get it. (laughs) We are still in the process of getting older and aging and even decaying, I get it. And so there's still challenges we're gonna face. We're gonna be in Christ, and yet we're gonna deal with these kind of issues. And so how do we now tackle the issue of gender identity and gender, uh, gender roles? So I'm gonna talk about that for just a few moments here. I'm gonna walk you through a brief passage in Ephesians chapter five, where the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, a city that was very confused about the roles of men and women even in marriage, and so he really tackled it there. But let's talk about this in our relationships, because husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so I wanna talk just to men. Men, learn to love. The one takeaway you get as you read how God approaches men is that men should love. I I thought maybe the women would be like, yeah, amen, all right more loving men. And you know why? The challenge is that in our culture, uh, we've been told that love looks a certain way. It's, it is chauvinist. It's, it objectifies women, men who think that what it means to love is maybe to be real charming and, or romantic or to be super manly, you know, like, or be, you know, have this really developed sexual prowess. But when we look at God's definition of love, here's what we see. That boys grow up to be God-honoring men who know how to love like gentlemen. 
that it don't matter if you're just, there you go. Becoming an adult doesn't make you a man. You could be a boy man. You could be a, a boy adult. We have too many, too many adult boys haven't learned how to love. So I'm going to preach this for a few moments here. What does that mean? Men love. Men love selflessly. Men, the way you love is by developing a sense of security in those that you love and you cherish. Security is love. You know, women need most a sense of security. A woman who feels insecure, struggling because there's some people around her who have not loved her well. It's not an indictment on the woman. It's an indictment on the men. You know why our nation is plagued with so many insecure women? Because we've got a bunch of chauvinist adult boys who haven't learned how to love by creating security for those around them. So what does it mean to love by creating security? Well, let's start with spiritual leadership. Too many men are waiting for the women in their life to say, well, let's go to church. Let's read the Bible. Let's pray together. Men, lead spiritually. You lead the way. Lead in your example. Become men of prayer. Read the word of God. Follow the example of Christ. Become more like Jesus. You lead in the church. You take, um, take a step of faith and begin to live out what it means to be like Jesus. Does that mean you have to do all of the praying? No, not at all. But you lead your family. They shouldn't be begging you to go to church. You should be the first one ready. You, I mean, you're probably the first one ready, but you should be the first one out the door. Your, your wife shouldn't have to say, well, let's do you know, devotions together. You say, let's do devotions together. Your wife shouldn't have to say, hey, maybe we should be giving to the church. You should be leading in your example. All right, so that's spiritual leadership, but don't just stop there. Loving by creating security, one of the most important things you could do is being faithful. Be a man of your word, man of integrity. You say it, do it. You honor your word. And some of you, you stood on an altar and you made a vow for rich or for poor. And you blame your wife on why you're struggling in your marriage. The reality is, be faithful. I'm not saying that couples don't have difficult times, but you be faithful. You fight, you fight for your marriage. You fight for your family. You love them passionately. They should feel safe in your commitment to them. You be faithful. Be men of your word. Men, I'm gonna talk for a moment about the idea of providing. And I know some of you are like, yeah, all right, I got this one nail. I mean, I make, I work hard and I make a lot of money. Okay, fine. You provide by working hard. But that's not what I mean. Because you don't have to be the primary breadwinner. You don't have to make the most money. When I talk about providing, what I mean is sacrificing your needs for the needs of others. You know what a lot of boy adults do? Boy adults work hard so they can get more toys and look out for their needs above everyone else's needs. I'm sick of it. 
I don't see that in the word of God. In the word of God, what I see in the example of Jesus is that he looked out for our needs above his needs and he gave his life for our life. When you work, you are working not for the goal of getting a nicer car, a nicer home, or a boat, or whatever you want. You are working, give, sacrificing yourself to meet the needs of others. That's what it means to be a man. You put your needs aside and you're saying, I care about your needs. I care about others others needs. I'm going to help provide within the church. I'm going to help provide in my home. I'm going to look out for my family's needs above my needs. Some of you, you have amazing men in your life and you've seen this lived out and you have a great example. And so you know what it looks like to lay aside your desires, your needs for the needs of others. Others of you've struggled with this because you haven't seen the godly examples. Be the godly example. Let me give one more talking about men. Love which creates a sense of security, protects. And finally, you're like, all right, good. Now I get to be a little bit macho. I get to flex and, you know, jump in front of the bullet. All right, fine, fine. That's not really a biblical picture. What it means to um, protect is this, being willing to sacrifice and serve, to honor and guard the dignity and the value of others. When I, when I think about protecting from a biblical perspective, it's the fact that we live in a culture that tears people down. A man who knows how to protect is when to leverage his strength to build up and honor and add value and say, you're a treasure, you are worthy, and I'm willing to leverage my strength and any resources God has given me to build you up. It's not about fighting, it's about serving. It's about loving well. Okay, so I can't do a whole sermon on this, so I just wanna camp on a few minutes, and I'll talk to women for a few moments here. Let me sh shift over, and let me read a verse to you. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Okay, you can all go, oh, I get it. You don't wanna hear that word. You're allowed to groan. Okay, go, uh, I'm, I'm feeling like I want to groan. Um, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So it's interesting because these go hand in hand. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Women, you know it's one of the key things that you see biblically that you're invited to learn? It's this, women learn to honor. Man, as a culture, we're not good at honoring. We tear people, the word honor means to give value to someone. You know, what, you know what has been done to men? Their value has been diminished in our culture. Women have said, we don't need you. We don't want you. And so men have gone, fine, I'll go serve myself. And I do believe that there is some relationship where if Women would begin to learn to honor men. Men might step up and act like men. Now, men, don't you dare use that as an excuse. You love no matter what. And you'll probably find that the women around you will honor you because of your love. But this isn't a catch-22. This isn't a cycle where, well, she doesn't honor me, so I can just not love her. No, no, no. Either one of you can reverse the course. Either one of you, if, if just one of you, if men, if you would start loving, women would start honoring. Women, if you'd start honoring, men would start loving. 
Either one of us can step up and be the way God designed us to be. So when we read this, what I really want to capture this idea of is what does it mean to honor? It means, women, you're going to submit to something. You're going to submit to someone or something. You're going to submit to the, the cultural views of what the world tells you you should be. Or you're going to submit to God. Can I encourage you to submit to God? Honor God in your life. Honor his authority in your life. Honor the way he designed you. He made you the way you are. He made you to love the way you love and to want the things you want. He, he created you with certain um, natural gifts and abilities. Don't fight it. Stop, it. stop making excuses for being who you are and start embracing your God-given identity. Girls, grow up recognizing that you are a treasure and you are worthy of being treasured. Women, recognize the giftedness that God has put in you and walk in honor. If you're married, you should be submitting under your husband's God-given authority. Does that mean he gets to dominate over you? No, I just spoke to men about love. It means he should be leading well. And because your husband doesn't lead well, do you just gonna dishonor him and disrespect him and tear him down? No, you take lead by honoring, by blessing, building him up, submitting under that leadership and celebrating what God has put in his life. Women, you've been given a unique gift to care and to nurture. You don't have to reject that and say, well, that's just stereotypes. No, God is, as a woman, God has given you unique gifts and abilities to care for others, to, to nurture others. That's part of your ministry gift, to care and to nurture. And so expect others to treat you as a treasure. Walk in godly, walk under godly authority. Walk, un, walk in honor of those that God has put in your life. Because I find that women are most insecure who come out from underneath honoring authority. Men, you should be creating an umbrella of godly authority, right? God honoring love. But women, you're, you're struggling. You're fighting up against something because you're rejecting God's design. And then you're wondering why you're struggling so much. If you come and you come under and honor, God will bless you. I did want to hit one more thing as I, as I bring this message in for a landing. Women's role in the church. There's been some confusion in recent years about whether women could take on the same roles as men. And different churches have different views. And I don't really want to get into debate today about that because I actually see biblically how both sides kind of make their argument. And there's people who love Jesus who are what they call egalitarian, uh, which means women can have the same exact roles as men. There are leaders who love Jesus, who take more of a complementarian view, which is that, you know, men and women complement each other. Men have certain roles in the church and women have certain other roles in the church. And I don't really want to debate that. What I do, what I do see biblically is this. Um, Men and women are better together. And so in a home, you know, a single mom, she can pull it off. It's hard, right? It's really hard. A single dad can pull it off, but it's better when we get to do it together. It's a little more fun, a little more pleasurable, uh, pleasurable and uh, it, you share the work. Man, poor Laura and I, even, even with us together, sometimes we feel overwhelmed. And so it's better together. I, I see the same thing in the church. Yep, men could just do it. And they're going to struggle. Women could say, forget you, I'll just do it on my own. And they're going to struggle. It seems to me biblically that men and women lead in the church really well together. That there's, some, there's something that God wants to do that says we're better together. I uh, saw recently, heard a, a really prominent nationally 
recognized pastor who loves Jesus, he said, empowering women makes weak men. Let me say it again. I'm almost embarrassed to say it. He was talking about this. He goes, in essence, he was, by empowering women, we're making weak men. I was like, man, he's almost got it right. Empowering women, right? It, uh, it doesn't make weak men. It exposes weak men. Why? Because empowered women, <laughs> uh, they kind of exposes cowardly men. Empowered women don't, uh, they don't make weak men. They, they reveal what's wrong in men. The truth is strong women make men stronger. Powerful women make men stronger, better. And so here's the deal. I, I, okay, you can clap, but I'm just talking about the church here. Um, look, all I know is the church is in a war and we're in a battle and we have a lot of work to do and I just want to do it together. We want all the people we can get to get involved, right? I, I, don't, I don't want to say to 50% of our population, yeah, we, we're going to do it without you. I want women on dream teams. I want women in our kids ministry. I want women on the platform. I want women in our, on our staff. I want women who know how to sing. I want women who know how to teach. Women who know how to lead. Women who know how to preach. Because the church is better when we're doing this thing together. And we've got a, we got a lot of work to do. And look, all right. When the church is doing its job, fine, then we'll have that argument. But until then, we got work to do, and we need both of us doing this thing together. Okay, so I want to land it with just a simple challenge. Women, you are valuable. Within Lifehouse, I want you to hear this. You're a treasure. You're a gift from God. Men, you have an extraordinary, God-given leadership. Man up. Be a man of God. Women, we need more women of God in today's generation. And so I want to land it with this. I realize I'm touching some sensitive topics. Hopefully I handled it in a God-honoring way. And I just want to bring it in for a landing with this. I want you to walk out of here. I want you to finish hearing this message feeling empowered. To be who God designed you to be. To recognize that there is no conflict between um, your psychology and your physiology. And if you're wrestling with that stuff, we want you to know that God made you in his image and he loves you. This is not a place of judgment, but of the gospel. But I also want you to know, be a man of God. Be a woman of God. Be who God designed you to be. Walk in integrity. Walk that out. Men love. Women honor. All right, so I want you to take a moment. I want to pray over you right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of creation. You love us so much. You made us male and female, man and woman, and it was a gift from heaven. And we know that sin broke us. It broke the creation of the world. So God, what I'm asking is that you would meet each one of us in an extraordinary way so that we first find our identity in you, in you alone. And then God, we begin to function in our roles and the responsibilities you've given us that men would be men, true godly men, and women would be true godly women. God, that together we would build your church and build our families and build our communities. God, may we truly honor you in the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.